Church, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll open to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're beginning a new uh, sermon series today called The Story of the Church. Last week we finished up our series in the Gospel of Luke, which was called The Story of Jesus. And now we're going to begin the story of uh, his church. Uh, I mean, I'm delighted that we have our uh, elementary kids in the room with us. Uh, this summer, and they're going to be sharing many things with us over the course of the summer. And, and boys and girls, I want you to know we're glad for you to be here. Uh, we want you to be so much more than just spectators, than just onlookers, than just observing what's happening here. Well, we want you to know, we, we desire to see you be a, a part of, of worshiping with us and even setting a high bar for us as you did this morning with your song. So thankful uh, for that, and we're looking for op- other opportunities to involve uh, our boys and girls in worship uh, throughout the summer. As we get into uh, this message today, uh, we're going to begin to see uh, that what Luke concluded with, as we looked at Luke 24 last week, was w- what Luke concluded with, he picks up with in what is volume two of of his work. This was not uncommon in, in uh, ancient writings. They, they wrote on scrolls in those days, not on books, and a scroll was only so long. And so once you got to the end of the scroll, you had to start a new scroll or a new book. And that's what we believe happened here, that Luke was writing, and he got to the end of Luke 24, and there was no more scroll left, so he had to start a new scroll. And that became what we know here as the book of Acts. It's a sequel as we're going to see. And as we come uh, to these summer months, we notice uh, in these days that we live that there are all kinds of sequels that are released during the, during the summer months. I'm, I'm convinced that Hollywood has run out of new ideas. I don't know about you. They just keep recycling. I, I hear tell there's even a new Rambo movie coming out. For those of us that grew up in the 80s with Rambo, I cannot believe that they are bringing back, and yes, it will be Sylvester Stallone. I think he's 110 by now, something like that. I'm not sure. Uh, But there is actually going to be released another Rambo movie before the end of the year. Uh, But our boys and girls could care less about that. You guys are probably more excited about Toy Story 4. For those of us that saw Toy Story 3, we thought that was the end, but it wasn't. And so they're going to be, have toy, toy Story 4. For those of you guys that enjoyed The Secret Life of Pets, which I personally enjoyed, Secret Life of Pets 2 is coming uh, this month. For those that are a little bit older and grew up in the days when I did, we're going to enjoy the fourth installment of Men in Black. Again, we thought that was done, um, but this is no longer Tommy Lee Jones and, and uh, the other dude. We're, this is going to be a whole new cast of characters um, and then for those that enjoy the X-Men franchise, I believe this is the 13th movie. Uh, they just keep cranking out stories about the X-Men. But sequels, the summer it tends to be a time full uh, of sequels. And the book of Acts is, in many ways, a sequel. As the book of Luke was the story of Jesus, now this is the story of Jesus' body, his church. And so let's jump right in this morning Acts chapter 1, if you'd stand in honor of God's word this morning, we'll share just these first 11 verses. Very much an introduction to what we're going to be looking at in the book of Acts over the next six months or so. Again, we'll just take a chapter a week. It'll be in your bulletin there on the the calendar. You'll notice what chapter we're in, and we'll just be uh, be covering a part of that chapter on Sunday morning, uh, a different part on Wednesday night if you want to join us for our Wednesday night uh, Bible study as we make our way through this book. 
So the one known as Dr. Luke, the companion of the Apostle Paul, wrote these things for our instruction under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority And then here's the key verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Church, you can be seated. Father, as we are seated together this morning, having just read of your promised return, we make this our prayer today. What you taught us to pray at the very end of the Bible, come soon, Lord Jesus. May our hearts long for the return of our King. In the meantime, may we be faithful to the king's mission. Help us to see it and to savor it this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, I've entitled uh, today's message, The Sequel, as we dive into the book of Acts together, uh, the continuation of what we looked at in the book of Luke over the last six months or so. The book of Acts lays out the the unfolding story of what happened once Jesus uh, left this world, promising to return, but leaving behind these who were known as the apostles, who who would plant churches, would draw people to faith in Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. All that we're going to see in the book of Acts happens in the short span of just 30 years. A world-changing movement erupted, beginning with the ascension of Jesus back into heaven, what we just read about there in verse 11. Michael Green said of those days, it was three crucial decades in world history. That is all it took. In the years between AD 33 and AD 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. And many among us this morning would say amen to that because our lives are counted among that number. And it all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, but then the Spirit came. 
And that's where the power is found. It was not in that dozen men or that handful of women. It was in the fact that God sent the promised Holy Spirit. From the beginning of the book of Acts, we understand that the book of Acts is primarily about the movement of the Holy Spirit among the people of God. Every miracle that takes place, every sermon that is preached, every missionary journey that is undertaken happened because of uh, the power, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people. And that's going to be the theme as we move through this book. We take a moment and go back to the beginning of the book of Luke to remind us of why Luke wrote these uh, twin books. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Dr. Luke wrote, It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, having followed uh, the life and, and the story of Jesus, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He's the one to whom Luke wrote these letters. That you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. I want to remind us of this this morning. The, the primary reason that Luke wrote his gospel, and I think also the reason why he wrote the, the book of Acts, is that we might, as the people of God, have certainty about the things that we've been taught in the Word of God, the things that we've been taught about Jesus, and the thing that we, things that we've been taught about what it means to be the people of God, His church. We want to have this kind of certainty and assurance as we walk through our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And then, as we pick up in the book of Acts, he says in the first book, the book of Luke, O, o Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The implication is this. He's continuing the same story. In this sequel, he is continuing the same story. It's now turning toward the days of the church, of the followers of Jesus, taking up the mission that he gave them, the mission that we'll see as we move to verse 8 this morning. All that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Again, I want you to see this morning, this book is thick with the Holy Spirit. It's also a book that for us as followers of Jesus Christ here in 21st century America in a day when we could be so easily discouraged, the book of Acts is meant to be a great encouragement to us. Pastor Mark Dever said, when you read through the book of Acts, you'll find this comfort and encouragement. Behind it all is God. I hope I can bring that out for you time and time again as we move through this book together. Behind it all is a sovereign God who is in control of all things, who is enacting His power and purpose in the world. And so he says, O weary worker, discouraged disciple, tired Christian, listen to God's word and see him speak and act with power. That's what I want us to see as we move through the book of Acts together, to see God acting in power, to see his church rising up in those days out of a, a handful of followers to thousands there in Jerusalem, to see them dispersed throughout the known world by, by the agent of persecution in their midst, and to see God's purposes put on display in history, of which we are a part. You see, church, the book of Acts is not just their story. This is our story. This is our history as the people of God. And we want to see our part of it in these days. Let's jump right in this morning again. It's all about the Holy Spirit. 
It begins with Jesus' words about the presence of the Holy Spirit among God's people. I want to be very clear from the beginning this morning. The church is nothing without the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. When Jesus went away, the Father sent the Comforter. The Father sent the Counselor. The Father sent the Holy Spirit that that we might enjoy His presence And so as we think about the book of Acts this morning, here's how I would sum up the book of Acts. I'm going to give you just a simple uh, sentence that we're going to come back to as we move through these things. And it it outlines four basic themes of the book of Acts. And it forms a little bit of an acronym, so it's easy to remember. A-C-T-S, just like the name of the book. The book of Acts is about this. It's about the apostles and the church who are testifying by the Spirit to the risen Christ. That's what this whole book is about. It's about the apostles and the church and their testimony, or their testifying by the Spirit to the risen Christ. That's what we're going to look at, these four things. First of all, the book of Acts, oftentimes it's referred to, and may even be in your Bible, called the Acts of the Apostles. These men like Peter and James and John and, and later the Apostle Paul are the focal point of much of the activity of this book. But it's not just about the apostles. It's also about the church and the churches that were planted by the hands of the apostles in various cities throughout the known world at that time. And it's about the apostles and the churches testifying, giving witness. That's a, that's a key word in this book. Whenever you see the word witness, you might want to underline that in your Bible. You're going to see it some 40 times in this book, the word witness. It's the Greek word martyress from which we get our, our English word martyr. Now, when we think of a martyr, we think of someone who, who, who dies for what they believe in. But the Greek word just literally meant a witness or one who lives for what they believe in. And so we, we see this played out time and time again. Their testimony, them testifying, and they're testifying by the power of the Spirit. Again, one of the primary players in this book is the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity that comes to dwell in and among the people of God. In the Old Testament days, we see the Holy Spirit often coming and going, but here He comes to dwell in permanence. We're going to see that next week. I encourage you to be here next Sunday as we look at the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But what are they testifying about? Again and again and again, their testimony is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ about the one, the fact that the one that they were following was not dead in a grave somewhere. Yes, he had been crucified for the sins of all mankind, but he had risen from the dead. The one who laid his life down of his own accord for us took his life up again just as he said he would do. He is the author of life. Only he has the ability to do this. And he did it. And those who follow in his footsteps by faith, may have that same resurrection life in them. This was their testimony. And by the way, church, this is our testimony. We are not testifying to your best life now. We are not testifying to how to live a good moral life, how to be good boys and nice girls. 
We are testifying to the fact that there was one who died on the cross for our sins, and three days later, he took his life up again. And he offers us resurrection life. He offers us eternal life through faith in his name. There is no other name given under heaven by which we might be saved. We are testifying to the risen Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. This is what Acts is about. The apostles in the church testifying by the Spirit to the risen Christ. Let's talk about those apostles for a minute. He says there in verse 2 that the apostles were chosen to continue his work. In, In Luke, he writes about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The book of Acts talks about all that he continued to do and to teach through his apostles. Now, in the book of Luke, they're primarily referred to as the 12 disciples, these that Jesus chose not because they were the smartest or the best looking or the most politically powerful. In fact, these were common, uneducated, ordinary men. There was nothing about them that would have drawn anyone's attention. In fact, some of them were even outcasts, like Levi was a tax collector. And yet Jesus chose these men to display his power in their weakness. The apostles were chosen to continue his work. They are called apostles because that word means sent out on a mission. An apostle is one sent out on a mission. And these men were faithful to the mission even unto death. They gave their lives for the cause of Christ. They became those first Christian martyrs. As we think about their proclamation, let's remind ourselves this morning, church, that our faith the christian faith relies on this one reality it all hangs on this one thing if the body of jesus christ of nazareth is still in a grave somewhere just outside of jerusalem we are utterly wasting our time here this morning but because christ has been raised from the dead we have a proclamation to make It's not every day that we see someone rise from the dead. We don't go to the funeral home these days and expect that we're going to see that person walking and breathing again anytime soon. But we do understand here, death has been defeated. The grave no longer has power over us because of what Jesus did. He has defeated sin and death, the two great enemies of mankind. And he has welcomed us to do the same through faith in him. That's what we are proclaiming. Our faith relies fully on this. The Apostle Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I delivered you as of first importance. As of, uh, this is top shelf truth here. This is above everything else that, that, we, that we could talk about. He says, I deliver what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. This is at the very heart of the Gospel. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter by the way, and then to the twelve, those twelve apostles. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Why that last phrase? He's saying, go and ask them for yourself. In those early days of the church, in those first 30 years in which Acts was, is, is recording, those, those, that first generation of believers following the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus back to heaven, there were eyewitnesses that could tell you about what they had seen and heard. 
And we're going to see as we move toward Acts chapter 5 that the religious leaders of that day get really perturbed with them because they just keep talking about Jesus rising from the dead. And they're drawing thousands of people to faith in him. And they order them strictly. And they say, you all got to stop talking about this resurrected Jesus. You've got to stop talking about Jesus at all. And they said, how can we? Would it be better for us to be obedient to God? He gave us the mission. Or to you, how can we help but speak about what we've seen and heard? Their lives were radically changed to the point they were willing to die for what they had believed. So we see the promise. We see, first of all, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 4 and 5. And he says, and, and while he was staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. There was a waiting period uh, of about a week between his ascension and the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given in all of its power, but to wait there for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, the Spirit being sent to God's people was a sure sign this was a sure sign, and even today, how do we know that we belong to Him? The sure sign is the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is among us? We see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We go over to Galatians 5, and we, and we see ourselves growing in love, growing in joy, going, growing in peace and patience, and all that fruit of the Spirit is being born in our lives. We see our witness being empowered by the Spirit as there was. was. We see God doing mighty things through the prayers of His people as the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Spirit being sent was a sure sign. Peter, as we'll look at next week in Acts chapter 2, begins to preach that first sermon of the church. And his text is Joel chapter 2. Joel 2.28 says this, written hundreds of years before the church was founded, it said, it shall come to pass afterward that I, God says, will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Again, in the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit often came and went. It did not remain, it did not dwell there among God's people. It was not until that day of Pentecost and the proclamation that came through Peter and the other apostles that the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Literally, that they were baptized in the Spirit. They were immersed in the Spirit of God. The Spirit was poured out upon them in power. No more to come and go as had been the norm for so many thousands of years. But now the Holy Spirit would remain, would dwell among God's people as the sign and the seal of His covenant with His people, as a, a guarantee of all the promises of God. You see, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of God's grace to us. How do we know that we're forgiven of our sins? How do we know that we have the gift of eternal life? How do we know that we have the promise of our prayers being answered? And by the way, not always answered as we would desire, but answered according to the perfect will of God. We know because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
He is the promise. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, talks about him as the, the guarantee of our salvation, as a, a sign and a seal that this is God proving himself to us by dwelling not just among us, but even within us. The Holy Spirit taking up residence in the lives of God's people. And Jesus said, You heard this from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you go back to Luke 3.16, we all know John 3.16, right? Well, Luke 3.16, John the Baptist answered them all, and he said this, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The stripe of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will immerse you in the Holy Spirit, something greater than being immersed in water. You will be immersed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you in power. And he even said to his disciples later, in greater things than I have done, you will do. Greater accomplishments will come through the church of Christ than happened in the life of Christ during his days. This is the promise of God. We are a part of that promise through faith in him. And finally this morning, we see the presence of the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit, but we cannot leave today without talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. As they, as Jesus was talking with them about the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling among them, they come up with a really good question. Now, it sounds like it's a bad question in a sense because it sounds like Jesus rebukes them, but it's really not a rebuke that he gives. He just redirects their attentions. When they come together, verse 6, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they were right in connecting the sending of the Spirit with the coming of the kingdom. There were many indications in the Old Testament that when the kingdom of God came in all its fullness, a sign of that would be the sending of the Holy Spirit. And so they were right to ask this question, Lord, is this the time when you're going to unveil the fullness of your kingdom? But Jesus says, hold on, guys. Don't get ahead of yourselves. Something else needs to happen first. It's not for you to know the dates of the times when the Father will unveil the fullness of his kingdom. In fact, in another place, Jesus said, only the Father knows those dates and times. Even the Son doesn't know. Now, how does the Father know something that the Son doesn't know? That's the mystery of the Trinity. When you figure that out, you come and teach me, because I'm not really sure. I just know what the Bible says. But we, we look at this, and we look forward to something. We're seeing a promise being given here. And we look forward to this promise. He said, but here's the greater part of the promise. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to empower you for one particular task. And we don't need to miss this, church. Why does God send the Holy Spirit to his people? Look what he says there in verse 8. This is the theme verse of the book of Acts. It lays out the mission of the church, and it lays out a table of contents, if you will, of what the book of Acts is going to display. We'll talk about more about that in just a moment. But the Holy Spirit supplies power for proclamation to all peoples. This is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. The Spirit is sent among the people of God to empower us to proclaim the gospel. 
to empower us to be His witnesses. Look at verse 8. Don't miss this. This is so primary. We don't want to miss what the Word of God is showing us here. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is that power, by the way. And as a result, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the main role of the Holy Spirit is to empower God's people to proclaim the gospel, to be his witnesses wherever they find themselves. As we close this morning, I just want to make one final statement based on Acts 1.8. I fear that oftentimes we have misunderstood this verse. This is the same idea, by the way, that Jesus lays out in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what we call the Great Commission. And I fear that we have replaced a key word in this verse. And I want to show you what he says there. You will be my witnesses where? in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. But, but here's what I think we often see, especially in the American church today. We take that word and, which by the way, I encourage you to underline that word right there in verse 8. It's given there four times to encourage us in the mission. But I think oftentimes when we read or when we practice the Great Commission, We practice it like that and is an or. Like it's an option for us. You'll be my witnesses in your Jerusalem or in your Judea or in your Samaria or to the end of the earth. And so here's how we look at it. We see those like the Corder family. Barry Corder was here just with us just a few weeks ago. They're preparing to go as missionaries to the country of Georgia. And we see those are ends of the earth people. Or we see a, a Matt and Shannon Reynolds who, who, we, who we, we support as missionaries uh, to Thailand. And, and we say, those are ends of the earth people. Those are folks that God has called to go to the ends of the earth because we replace the and with an or. We think that there's an option here that's given to us. And we think, well, I can be a witness right here in my Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents your hometown, the place where, where, where you live and reside. And we, we think somehow that we have an option here, like a menu that Christ is giving us. You can be in a witness either in your Jerusalem, there's option A, or maybe in the surrounding areas, Judea and Samaria. But then there might be some unique group of folks that are called to have a mind and a heart and a mission toward the ends of the earth. I want you to notice what he says here, church. Don't miss this. That and is not an or. That and is there for a reason, and he emphasizes it four times. It's Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. This is one united mission of his church. Here's my point. We need to understand and remember that local and international missions are not at odds with one another. This is not a menu from which we can pick and choose. And church, I just want to say to us, and I want to say this with great trepidation this morning, if we think 
that our involvement in the mission of God ends at the county line, then we have no part in the mission of God. Now, you may think that that sounds harsh, but I want you to see what the Word of God is saying this morning. We don't get to choose Jerusalem over the ends of the earth. Reaching our Jerusalem is a part of reaching the ends of the earth. If you understand this rightly, a heart for the nations will involve having a heart for our neighbors. A pastor from uh, several years ago, J. Oswald Smith, said that a light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. And so this is not an either-or. This is not, well, we could go to the nations or we could just stay here uh, among our neighbors sharing the gospel. And both of those are part of the same mission. And far too often what we find in the American church today is we see that, that there being kind of a, uh, an opposition to one another because sometimes there's a battle for resources. And so we'll say crazy things like, well, why would we go to the other side of the world to share Jesus with people when there's all kinds of lost people here? What we don't realize is we're talking about the same mission. And we miss it so often. Here's what I'm not saying to you. I'm not saying that God has called every person in this room to go and be a missionary in a foreign land, but I do believe this, he's called some. I am not saying to you that by going on a mission trip to a foreign land, you have fulfilled all your obligations to the Great Commission and can just ignore missions here in your own locality. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is it's the same mission. These are not at odds with one another. A heart for the nations will be a heart for your neighbors, and a heart for your neighbors will birth a heart for the nations because ultimately, what is it? It's a heart for lost people. We see those who are dead and dying without Christ, and we long to see them come to know the risen Savior. And so we engage in this mission together. The mission of which Jesus spoke in Luke 24. We'll close with these scriptures. It says, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. There's nations and neighbors. You see it right there. To all nations beginning from Jerusalem. For us, beginning from right here in Breckenridge County, that we would proclaim the fact that the one who died on the cross for our sins rose from the dead so that we could have life in him, that all who would turn from their sins and trust in Christ will be saved and enjoy the gift of eternal life. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. Not you might be or you could be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you are among the martyrs. You are among the witnesses. The only question that remains is will you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as he enables you to proclaim the risen Christ?